break up with Dylan. What? No. Believe me, and it's best for everybody if you just do it quickly. I can't believe we're having this conversation. He's like part of the family. Trust me, it's the right thing to do. Just end it. Okay, but be gentle. Boys are surprisingly sensitive at that age. Water polo girl story. Yes, I'm going to tell the water polo girl story because it hurt. Mm. <clears throat> okay, so I'm working in the principal's office. She walks in, hair all silver from the chlorine. Tells me she wants her varsity jacket back. I tear up a little. Then I tear up a lot. I'm begging, I'm begging. At some point, I realize I'm sitting on the button to the high school intercom system. Yuck it up, ladies. Wasn't funny then, is not funny now. It was traumatic, Haley. Don't do Dylan like Linda the Cannon can cannon did me. Honey, that was a long time ago. I loved her. It is complicated. If there are two people who get the complications of relationships, it's Billy Joel, who our, our great band just took us on a, a world tour of all of his greatest songs and the ups and downs of emotion. Very few people tell the stories of the complications of relationship like Billy Joel. And also my friend Phil Dumphy from Modern Family. He's one of my favorites. He just, I, I feel like a, a kinship with him as he constantly puts his foot in his mouth over and over again. Many guys in this room can resonate with that. Well, over the past six weeks, Michael has taken us on a world tour, so to speak, of relationships. And chances are, if you've been walking with us, uh, you at one point or another have had a chance to stop and slow down and, and evaluate just how complicated your own relationships are. Well, I want to share with you a few around the Bradshaw house uh, in some moments that I like to call, you know your life is complicated when? Well, the first uh, that I'd like to share with you is, you know your life is complicated when it takes more time to explain your universal remote control to the babysitter than general care instructions for your three kids. That's a true story. Uh, that's our life. I bought this universal remote control thinking it was going to simplify everything, and that was how I, I you know, levied the purchase to make this happen. It's going to change everything. All you have to do is press press watch DVD or press watch TV, but it never works that way. I'm always having to press help and all kinds of things. And so we have several pages of instructions for our babysitters on how to watch TV because we'll come home and we'll find them watching like channel one, which is just like the instructions, you know, of the TV and it's on volume one and the kids are running around the house. And so we know, okay, you need a little bit more instruction, don't you? But we've got problems. It's complicated in the Bradshaw house. Here's when you know your life is getting about to get more complicated. You know your life is about to get more complicated when you thought it would be a good idea to post on Facebook that your wife just got a speeding ticket. You then proceed to read her the comments left by her friends to her. Uh, that, was a, that was a funny moment in our house. Uh, it was, it was just great. Uh, one for the record books. Well, we were driving on the Eastern Shore, and sure enough, uh, you know, speeding ticket happens, and I'm, I just got my new phone, and I was sitting next to her, and she was driving. I was, you know following the law, and, and, uh, and I was texting while not driving, and, uh, and, and so I said, you know what would be funny? Let's just put this on Facebook, and, and it wasn't funny. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of comments told me how unfunny it was. Here's another thing in the Bradshaw house. You know your life is complicated. When your daughter, when your wife sends you a picture of your daughter Zoe, you remember, give Zoe what she wants. Zoe, right? who has hung all of her princesses in her bed by their feet during her nap time. I got the picture, and, and I, didn't know, I didn't know whether to pray, 
cry a little bit, call a therapist. But I realized actually right before this service why she did this, probably. Now, getting inside the mind of a three-year-old is, is probably, a, probably a little bit more easier than getting inside the man of a mind. But anyhow, inside of a, of, of a mind of a three-year-old, we tell her, Zoe, no toys in the bed while you're sleeping. So that's pretty creative. There are no toys in the bed. That's, so she, you, can, you know she's going to be the one that's looking for an angle. So there are moments in our lives where life gets complicated, aren't there? It gets complicated real fast in a, in a big hurry. And I, you don't need me to remind you of that. But for the past six weeks, Michael has tried to uncomplicate our lives just a little bit. Uh, he's brought us some scripture, some stories, and a great book called Love at Last Sight that we've been using as our guide as well. Well, in week one, he took us, uh, he began with the tensions of our lives. And we learned that the success in relationships isn't always about solving problems, is it? God often uses the tension in our lives as growth engines toward becoming even better versions of ourselves. In week two, rebuilding our broken world. From Gordon McDonald's book, Michael gave us seven steps toward rebuilding our broken world. The two that I needed to hear, live like a forgiven person. And don't dodge the pain, walk through it. Which ones do you remember? Then in week three, Love at Last Sight, part one, we began our journey with today's book. And we learned the art of being all there, the art of, be, of acting intentionally, and the art of risking awkwardness in conversations. Then week four, Only the Lonely, from Henry Cloud, Michael gave us the six requirements for intimacy. My takeaway, create the zero perfection experience. What was your takeaway? In week five, uh, Michael surprised us as Lombardi in more than just a game. And as the, as the great coach Lombardi gave us, taught us the importance of character, of asking ourselves the tough questions, the value of sacrifice, and of hard work. And last week, in, in week six, Inside a Man's Mind, another look, Michael went where few people were willing to go again. And he taught us that inside every man is the desire to do something great. Every man wants, to be, wants, wants the world to know that he was here. And in the end, it's not the breaths that you take, but the moments that take your breath away that will be your life. And so here we are at week seven, Love at Last Sight, part two, and really more specifically, the last component of this great book that we've been following, Love at Last Sight, the, 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 what we'll be focusing on is simply this, the art of letting go. Well, let me teach you a little about the art of letting go from the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 5. Let's read together. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught from the boat, taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. 
when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, I remember this story way back to vacation Bible school days. I remember the images in my mind, even the pictures on the wall of a small Presbyterian church in Ormond Beach, Florida, where Peter was out catching fish, and all of a sudden Jesus came along and said, hey, do something a little bit different. Just throw your, throw your nets over here. I know you've worked all night. Watch what happens. And sure enough, a boat full of fish was pulled in and everything was changed. And it says as the scripture ends that they left everything they had and they followed this Jesus. I know this story and many of you know this story. It's a great story. It's one of the classics of the Christian faith. But you know what? We also know this story outside of this scripture because this is really a story about control. It's really a story about our lives, our lives trying to do things our way. We get that, don't we? We know how to do things our way, whether it's at work, whether it's in our families, whether it's in relationships. This whole series has brought to light how much we like to do things our way. But Peter, in an instant, shows us that there is a different way of living that there's something to do with this way that we think, when we think we've got everything all figured out and everything is just going to be exactly the way we want it to be, and still we end up with empty nets. He shows us that there still is hope. There's a Greek word that I want to teach you this morning. It's not a hard one. It's simply this, kapiao. And it means to exert oneself physically, mentally, or, and, and or spiritually, to work hard, to toil, to strive, to struggle. This was the experience, this is the word that the author here uses when he describes, uh, we have been working hard all night, we have left it all on the field. Everything that we have, we have put into this fishing experience. We get that, don't we? We don't have to be expert anglers to get that in life because we get what it's like to leave it all on the field, to work hard in our relationships, to try everything that that Oprah and Dr. Phil and everyone else says to do and try this and it'll work and still to come up with empty nets. We know what it feels like, don't we, to be in that position. So when I read this word, this word kapiao, and it, it describes the disciples' experience, I know what that means because I know what it means to feel empty, to have tried everything possible to fix, even to control, and still to end up bankrupt. We get that. These disciples were worn down, they were beat up, and at the end of their rope, some of you this morning came to church, at the end of your rope, Maybe at lots of areas of your life look great right now, but there is one area of your life that just is just rocking your world. And no matter what you do, no matter whose advice you take, somehow you still keep ending up with empty nets. No one knows this story better than us. The story is really about control. The Shooks in their book, Love at Last Sight, write this about control. They write that perfectionists control. 
Are you a perfectionist? Do you have a perfectionist in your life? You know what it means to be controlled or to control by being a perfectionist. Intimidators control. Worriers control. Overplanners control. Micromanagers control. You know, we may be any one of these or a combination of all the above or in a relationship right now where we can say, yes, this is exactly where my life is right now. We can get that. We get it. We get this story better than anyone else. And the Shooks write that it's exhausting to try to be the general manager of the universe and the glue that keeps it all together. And so if you came here this morning feeling like, okay, I am at the end of my rope. I have been trying to control, and maybe you wouldn't have used the word control. You would have said something nicer, like, like, uh, you know, I don't know, corral. That might have been nicer, or, or something a little bit easier. You might not have used the word control because we know well enough to know that control is not one of our favorite words. Nobody wants to be controlled or to control. But you might have come here this morning, and you're absolutely at the end of your rope, and you're feeling bankrupt because you've been trying to both be the general manager of the universe and be the glue that keeps it all together. It didn't work for Peter when he was fishing, and it ain't working for you. So the question is, what do we do with it? But why do we control? Even before we get to that answer, why do we control? I think it's often a mix of fear, of pain, inadequacy, all of, the, all of the above or even more. In the, uh, in the book, uh, Love at Last Sight, Chris and Carrie Shook, they outline six hurts or six areas of control that I've coined this morning, six not-so-universal remote controls. Let's see where you fit into these stories. The first is the hurt button. And when pressed, the hurt button asks, is one or more of your key relationships affected by a hurt you've experienced from them? How about something you've done? Where right now are, is your life being controlled by hurt? Whether it's something that you've done or something that's been done to you, where is there hurt? How about insecurity? When pressed, the insecurity button asks, what key relationships have you been more concerned with keeping them happy than being honest with them? You know, if I'm honest, uh, that's one of my big ones. I'm a people pleaser. I just want people to be happy. Uh, on the Myers-Briggs scale, for those of you who care, I'm an ENFP, which means that I love to be around people, and I love parties, and I just love the experience, and I just love for people to be happy. And so that's great. On a, on a great day, that's great. But on a not-so-good not day, it means that I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that you're happy, even if it causes me hurt or causes some dishonesty in our relationship. What about you? What key relationships have you been more concerned with keeping them happy than being honest with them? We have a saying around here uh, on staff that it's easy to say 90% of what's on your mind, but it's that last 10% that really pushes you across the goal line and really becomes an honest conversation. So we say, what's the last 10%? In fact, we've gone from 10 to 5 to 2 to like 0.5. Now we'll say, what's the last 0.5%? What is it in your life? Who do you need to share that last 10% with? Maybe it's even yourself. The pride button. When pressed, the, the pride button asks several questions, but stress is often a symptom of you trying to do something good, something God never intended you to do. 
what key relationship is being negatively affected by your pride? Stress is often a symptom of you trying to do something God never intended for you to do. What are you trying to do right now? Are you feeling just stressed out? Several years ago, I went for a medical checkup and my stress levels were elevated. And I said to my doctor, I said, well, what do I need to do to eliminate stress? And he said, well, die. That would be one. I thought, well, that, what, are there any other options <laughs> uh, for my family's sake? Uh, I kind of like this living thing. It's working out well. And, you know, that, but that's the point. Stress is real. It's a part of our lives. And, you know, Andy Stanley talks about stress and even, he even calls it tension. He said this in one particular book. He said, imagine yourself trying to run uh, on a frozen pond. It's next to impossible. There needs to be some tension there in order for you to get friction, for you to start moving. And so sometimes stress can be a motivator towards some great things. It can provide some friction, and great things can happen as a result of that. But often, here in this example, is where stress is out of control. And this is where pride is in the way. And what key relationship is being negatively affected by your pride? Because you think you're the only one that has the answer. How about the guilt button? Our guilty chains are the old patterns we continue to use in relationships, even though the need for them no longer exists. What relational chains need to be broken in your life today? The old patterns, the brokenness, the things that everyone else in your life can see, but you somehow, who do you have in your life that that can say to you, you know what, stop with the brokenness. Who is saying that to you right now, but you keep saying you don't know what you're talking about. I know that's the way it looked in the past, but that's just purely coincidental. Is it coincidental this morning? How about the selfishness button? When it comes to serving, are you keeping score in any of your key relationships? Keeping score. Something that husbands and wives love to do. Maybe I should say husbands. I won't put wives in that category. It's easy to do, isn't it? Well, I did the dishes. I'll, I'll do the dishes if you cook, okay? Well, I'll do bath time if, uh, but you're gonna, have to, uh, you're gonna have to get up early and go to the bus stop. And so we find ourselves, and maybe it's just me, find ourselves in this world of negotiation because we want things to be fair. We want things to be equal, don't we? But there's a whole new level of living that Christ calls us to in the scriptures that is a selfless life. In fact, Paul even says in one place in, in one of his letters that we are to out do one another in love. What if instead of outdoing and scorekeeping, you outdid in love this week? What would that look like? How about unrealistic expectations? That's one of our favorite buttons. The people you love are priceless works of art, not perfect works of art. Which priceless relationships are currently being held in the perfect section today? Where are your expectations so high and so unrealistic that no one can ever meet them? And so you find yourself alone and tired and worn out and stressed out with incredibly unrealistic expectations. And so these are six not-so-universal remote controls. They're all a part of our life in one form or fashion or another. But the reality is, is that we need hope. And so what are we to learn from Peter's response in Luke chapter 5, because I think there is hope. Even though this is Peter's story, it's our story too. And he gives us two responses, and they're simply this. The first, give up. The second, give over. But let's talk about the first, to give up. See, in verse 5, Peter says this. 
Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And then there's a period. And in my mind, there is a pause that's as long as you could possibly imagine. Because that's our lives. We know exactly the brokenness and the complications of where we're living right now. And so that's often where we leave it. Okay, whoever's coming, you, Jesus, I hear you telling me to let go. I hear you telling me to give up, but it's just so hard right now. But Peter's response is simply this. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And then what happened? Immediately, the story says that, that they had so much fish they didn't know what to do with. You know, that's a scary place in our lives, isn't it? Because if you've been coming to church for a while, you've heard a message similar to this probably more times than you can count where somebody is going to ask you to let go of something. Let go of your past, let go of your pride, let go of something. Then it's always to turn it over to Jesus. Just turn it over. Everything's going to be great. Remember the old expression, let go and let God. And it just sounds so passive. And I remember hearing it as a child thinking, it just doesn't even make sense to me. How am I supposed to let go and let God? I don't understand. But somehow Peter was able to say, here is all of my brokenness. I don't get it. This doesn't make sense. But I'm going to move and I'm going to do exactly what you've asked me to do, Jesus. And what did he do? Jesus showed up. And so I don't know what that looks like for you today. I know that you have tried a lot of things to get your life uncomplicated. You have tried a lot of things to gain control, but maybe control is not what you're supposed to be looking for. Maybe that's not even the, that's not the goal at all. Maybe it has something entirely, God has something entirely different in mind. In fact, I know he does. And it's simply this, to give up. My methods are broken. I can't do this. In fact, for the first time, some of you might be hearing this today, and this is where this relationship with Jesus can begin by saying, I don't have all the answers. And so I give up. I give up. He was willing to surrender it all. Have you reached a point where you recognize that the circumstances in a key relationship in your life are beyond your control? Are you willing to say, I give up? Once we stop trying to fix the problem, change the person, or control the situation, then God can get involved. It just doesn't happen before that. So Peter gave up. But what else did he do? He gave over. And that's our challenge is to give over. In verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He recognized that not only had he doubted this God, but that he was broken. He recognized that, there was, that he was empty, that he was bankrupt. And he expected the hammer. Do you ever expect the hammer in a moment like this? You know, I, I remember I, I told a story one time to a bunch of high school kids that, um, that I remember uh, just doing something as a child. I was supposed to write a book report. And I just kind of fooled around in my room for, for hours and hours and hours. And finally, my mom came upstairs and said, hey, let's read the book report. And I was like, uh, I hadn't written anything. And normally, mom was not afraid of, of the hammer, so to speak. She was not afraid to discipline, and I'm very thankful of that. But this time, she somehow, she felt like, you know, this isn't the time for discipline. 
this is the time for ice cream. And so when I deserved the hammer, I got ice cream instead. Some of you this morning are expecting the hammer, whatever the hammer means, but God is saying, you know what? It's time for ice cream because I forgive you. I give you, and and it says here at the end of the story that Jesus said to him, Simon, don't be afraid. Just like the old hymn, then peace like a river attendeth his way. That's the story that Jesus offers us today. So verses 8 through 11, it also says, For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch. I love that word astonished. When was the last time you were astonished in your life? Where do you need something so big from God that, that, that it's just undeniably supernatural? Could you use that a little bit? Where could you use a little astonishment in your life right now? Or could you use a little astonishment right now? But I think just like Peter, while he didn't have universal remote controls, he had nets. You've got remote controls. Are you willing to give up your net, your remote control, your relationship, whatever it might be, so that God could do something in your life and absolutely astonish you? Could you use that right now? I was uh, reflecting with some friends of mine uh, last week who are graduating seminary. And I was thinking back to my own experience and and how life-changing it was and all of the the tough work and all the stuff that we had to go through just to get finished and the sacrifices that parent and our our kids had to endure. And I remember sitting um, in this culmination, the culminating moment uh, in the graduation ceremony, the commencement address, and wouldn't you know, Nancy Ortberg, who's John Ortberg's wife, was the speaker, just a phenomenal communicator. And she said something that I'll never forget. And it's, it's changed the way I think about my family, about my life, about ministry. And I hope it'll mean something to you. But she said this, the most powerful vision you'll ever have as a parent, a friend, a spouse, or a leader will never be your vision for your family, your friendship, your marriage, your organization, but it will be your vision of God. How big is your vision of God today? How much have you been resting on your laurels as a leader, as a parent, as an academic, uh, as an athlete, to try and fix and control the areas of your life? How much have you been doing that? And how often do you just come up broken and empty and bankrupt? Empty nets time and time again. But what if, what if you were just to give up and give over? How might God astonish you? How might he change you? What might your vision of God look like if you were just to do those two things? I know this, whatever blessings I've received in my life and my family and career have all come in direct proportion to my willingness to practice the art of letting go. Boy, is it hard. Oh, every day. That's why Paul talks about every day. I die to myself. Lord, would you take this away? And somehow he says, not entirely. You're going to have to work through this. It's not going to be easy. But I haven't left you, nor have I forsaken you. You keep giving up. You keep giving over. And I'm going to keep showing up and changing your life. And so as we close this series, it's complicated. I want to leave you with this charge today. 
let go. Let go of your impossible attempts to please everyone. People pleasers focus on happiness rather than emphasizing honesty and vulnerability. Let go. Let go of your empty, stressed out, ego-driven pursuits toward being the king of your own hill. If you're feeling stressed out right now, it's probably because you're trying to control something that God never intended for you to handle. Let go. Let go of your personal and professional failures that you just can't seem to forget. Move beyond the broken patterns of your past by focusing rather on what you want things to be like. Set your goals and get fulfilling them through God's mercy and grace. Let go. Let go of your need to keep score in relationships. By keeping score, you're essentially saying, I'm the most important person here and I need to make sure I'm getting my proper due. This kind of attitude immediately drives a wedge through any relationship. To have a breakthrough, you're going to have to stop keeping score. Let go. Let go of your unrealistic expectations. Gather up all of the mental pictures of what you expect the people you love to be like and to act like, and then tear them up. Then make a list of the qualities you want to exhibit in your own life. Let go. Let go. Yes, relationships are complicated, but they're not impossible. Yes, relationships are complicated, but they are not impassable. Yes, relationships are complicated, but without tension, we'll never find the God-driven momentum our lives demand. Yes, relationships are complicated and messy and broken and confusing and humbling and inspiring, but they're also God's greatest canvas on which the art of faith and life come alive. So let's let go together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, where you are present, there is hope, there is healing, there's forgiveness, there's transformation, there's reconciliation. God, and there's hope that we can live life to the fullest. God, I, I thank you this morning for that you've given us the power to let go. And so we give up and we give over our lives to you once again. I pray this week, God, that you would convict us, that you would show us the little and small ways where we can move our lives closer and closer to you. Change us, inspire us, breathe new life into us once again. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.